This is The Actors Room, episode number 55, in part two of Kurt Cobain. Here we are. Didn't think it would happen this week, folks. Gotta tell you, kind of surprised I'm doing it right now. I've been just battling a lot of uh, sinus trouble. Uh, I get to the point where I'm talking and my voice will break and it just sounds horrible. So there was no way I was going to be able to put out an episode like I usually do on a Sunday night. So, And I've been doing that for about two months now. Pretty consistent. I'm putting my shows out on the same day, Sunday nights. I found that Sunday nights seem to work the best. So that's what I decided to do. But tonight, a couple days later, Actors Room Part 2 of Kurt Cobain. I hope everybody out there is having a great day. And before we get started, I want to go ahead and let you know my website, theactorsroom.lipson.com, has a donate button. You go on there, you donate 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars, five dollars. I've got a few donations so far, nothing big, but it's great to see some support from anybody that's listening. I really do appreciate everything that you do in support of the show. I need more of it to continue on giving you some shows that you will enjoy, hopefully, and learn about some very fascinating people. And getting more into the life of Kurt Cobain, I think is going to be fascinating this week. We're going to dive deeper. And I left last episode saying that we are going to dive deeper into his soul, his dark soul. And it was a bit dark, folks. I think we all know that. Those that appreciate Cobain and know of his work or know a little bit about him, he had some shit going on. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody that Kurt Cobain had a lot going on inside. It showed the way he acted. He put it in his music, the way it sounded. He had some issues. And let the be known in his music. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that aspect of Kurt's life here in part two of the actor's room. So here we go. In early 1987, Kurt found a new roommate. His name was Dylan Carson. Now this is significant. Dylan was very close to Kurt Cobain, especially near the end part of his life. They knew each other since 1987. Carlson is also a musician. And um, the band that Carlson was in is called Earth. And I guess Kurt and Dylan both would collaborate with one another on projects, especially with Earth. Kurt would go ahead and participate in Dylan's band. Some will say that Dylan and Kurt were actually best friends near the end. So if you want to know more about Kurt I suggest you go interview this guy (laughs) if you have the means. And I'm thinking to myself, why doesn't this guy write a book? I mean, he could write a fucking book. Maybe he has. I don't think he has, but he should. Or maybe he's at that point, you know, I've seen interviews with this guy. He seems pretty closed off. Uh, I think he's a very, uh, I don't know if I'd say he's a private guy. I think maybe he just doesn't want to, talk about certain things concerning Kurt. I think that he feels that to be dirty laundry. And I can respect that, actually. When Kurt passed, he was very upset, sad, 
and really didn't want to talk about it. Now, he did talk about it here and there, but for the most part, I think Dylan just wants to move on. Now, this is interesting. Dylan Carlson was actually the person that bought Kurt the shotgun that would end up taking his life. He even helped Kurt purchase the gun because I guess Kurt wasn't allowed to buy guns at that point. We'll get to that in the last episode. It's kind of fascinating, but Dylan is the guy that bought Kurt that shotgun. That's important. This guy was involved and had a pretty damn good understanding of what was going on at that time and may know a few things he really doesn't want to talk about. And I can understand that. This is very interesting. And this guy, Dylan, is a figure that is quite interesting in the life of Kurt Cobain. And we'll touch on that later on. Most friends say this about Dylan. Quote, he was nuts. He realized one day that he didn't know that much about teeth. So what did he do? He immediately went to the library and spent all day there studying about teeth. End of quote. There was one time Dylan was sleeping in his house. Door was locked. And of course, Chris Novoselic, the member of Nirvana, the bassist and good friends with Kurt, needed to get in the house. Chris found a way in and was immediately faced with the shotgun to his face. Dylan always kept the shotgun under his bed. And the song, In Bloom, centers around Dylan Carlson. And was at this time, Kurt got involved with his first royal girlfriend. And her name was Tracy Miranda. And you know something? I like Tracy. She is interviewed in a lot of documentaries of Kurt. And I just get a really nice vibe from her. She speaks very highly of Kurt with a soft tone and dreamy eyes. She truly loved Kurt. Back then, Kurt, too. Yes, he became famous and everybody that is a fan of Nirvana and Kurt loves Kurt, right? Well, Tracy, she loved Kurt when he was just Kurt and not the mega rock god. Goes a long way with me when I hear her talk about Kurt Cobain. Because you know what? When she's saying it, I believe it. So when you watch Tracy talk about Kurt Cobain, take it to heart. Because she really is feeling what she's saying about Kurt. Tracy came along at the right time in Cobain's life. They would just sit down and chill together. She remembers both of them sitting on the sofa together, each with their different kinds of books, reading in silence. It was good and nice, she said, to have that company, to have that peace between two people. She knew a lot about music and helped Kurt with his early journey. They lived together. Although Kurt would have a few shitty jobs He really didn't keep him. And there was Tracy supporting him. Most of the time, Kurt didn't work. At one point, 
Tracy gave him an ultimatum. Get a job or get the fuck out. He once again refused. No job for Kurt Cobain. This confused her. This confused Tracy. And this is the same thing he did to his mother a few years back. His mom said, hey, he just quit school, high school. She said, fine, but if you're going to stay here, get a job. Kurt said, no. And he became homeless. Tracy gave him the same ultimatum here. Get a job, man. Or go sleep in your car. And Kurt said, fine. I have no problem sleeping in my car. I've done it before. And he meant it. So she looked at him and went, you're fucking kidding me, right? I can't threaten this guy. Like, I give him this and that. Like, okay, you need to support this household here. Get a job. (laughs) You know? Uh And he said, I don't want a job. I want to concentrate on my music. I want to concentrate on my writing of music. This is important to me. And if it means I got to sleep in my car, I'm going to sleep in my car. So he gave her an ultimatum. Hey, kick me out. I sleep in my car. That's on you. (laughs) I like how he kind of switched tables there. But I think the reality of the situation was Kurt didn't like people telling him what to do. Simple as that. I think I finally got that just now in my head. Doing my research on Kurt, finding out things about him, watching the documentaries, so on and so on. And the same theme keeps coming back to me. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. So there you go. A good example right here. So, the thought of Kurt Cobain, okay, sleeping in his car, living in his car, and Tracy kicking him out, she couldn't face that reality. She just couldn't do it. She loved him too much. I don't think she meant it when she said, get a job or bye bye She didn't mean it, obviously. It was, well, they say that when you're trying to fake somebody out. I'm trying to think of that word. Oh, God, I I hate that, man. Oh, okay, I got it. Her bluff. Okay, she bluffed. And he's like, got your bluff, I'm staying. (laughs) And he did. She let him stay, of course. And uh, he watched television. Uh, I guess the big thing at that time was Jerry Springer. He loved to watch Jerry. He also painted, of course, wrote poetry, and of course, wrote his music. Kurt concentrated on art and only art. Tracy nurtured his talent. This is monumental because Kurt would grow faster than he would have been uh, working a nine to five job, having responsibility. Okay. And sometimes when you're in that life, you become that anyways. And then your music then becomes a hobby, okay? And that's a choice you make. I decided that long time ago. I decided that moving back home, starting a family, doing that thing, having a real job, okay? 
And I do this stuff. I do my podcast when I can. Kurt said, fuck that. Music, art, that's my life. That's what I'm going to fucking do. That's all I'm going to do. I, I can't do anything else. Because I would be absolutely miserable. So he sat in Tracy's house. And went ahead and just became the music. He practiced constantly. Wrote all the time. And put all of it on paper into music. And then that's where you get his progression going at a faster rate. Than if he had a real job. If you think about it, it's true. And Tracy was a big part of that. She allowed him to be who he was. Because she loved him so much. She was willing to do that for him. To let him stay with her. So Tracy is a very central figure. In Kurt's life in the early goings. And he did love her. I think. I think he did. But not where he was in love with her. I think Tracy was in love with Kurt. But Kurt wasn't in love with Tracy. Kurt had a fascination with fetuses. Now we're getting into his uh, weird interests. And uh, when I say that, I mean that. I think that if you have a fascination with fetuses, that's strange. That's unusual. That's really not a normal thing to be interested in. But Kurt was. He was fascinated with the, uh, the human experience as far as the growth period of a child inside of a woman. Uh, the unborn child inside the womb was interesting. Now he would get his hands on all sorts of medical books, I guess. And he would just be transfixed on these books. And what the inside of a human body looks like. He would draw these things. But most of the drawings and art of the unborn child were quite morbid. Their faces wrinkled, eyes dark, tired, and sunken. Tracy's house was filled with Kurt's art. And even to this day, Tracy has his art on display in her house. And you can see these in interviews that she gives. She gave an interview to this one guy. And she had him walking around her house. And she was showing off. Kurt's paintings that he had done at her house and left to her and they're still hanging in her house I think Tracy was very proud of the fact that Kurt stayed with her for that uh, amount of time that he was there Um, she treated Kurt in a motherly way and she even says that he yearned for that Um, having a Motherly attention, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Or the phrase I'm looking for. Uh, Was that something that his mom missed along the way? Uh, Maybe. Um, Or did Kurt need some extra attention? I think that too. Um, So in Tracy, he found that. And Tracy sort of was okay with that. Giving Kurt that something that he needed at that time. And... I really do believe that. He, he needed that nurturing. And I find that interesting. I think Kurt yearned for that. And Tracy provided it. 
Um, seems like Tracy was filling that void for Kurt in his heart. And even his dad, Donald, wife, Jenny, would explain this further in some of the interviews that they gave. Jenny herself, Donald's new wife, said that she felt that Kurt really just wanted to be with his mother. He needed that motherly thing. And, well, you know, I wrote that down. I have that in my notes. Hmm. And when Jenny says that, that goes a little deeper for me than Tracy saying it because Jenny was there in the early goings when you really did need a mom. And that goes to show you just how horrible divorce is for the kids. How everything's just sort of split up. You know, I was lucky. Uh, My parents were together when I was younger, thank God. And it was great. I have nothing but fond memories of my childhood. My parents were together. They were a unit. They made decisions together. And they made the right decisions on raising my brother and I, my brother Dave. They really did a great job. I felt safe, secure, loved. All of those things. That's what Kurt wanted. And he didn't get that. I'd be fucking pissed too. Fuck. When I think about that, that is so sad. For all those kids. My wife had to go through that. Her parents got divorced when she was a kid. She had to deal with that bullshit. I thankfully didn't have to. Um, And I feel. For all of you out there. They had to go through that. I'm really sorry. Because my parents are divorced now. And I made a mistake actually. My brother caught me on this one. He sends me a text. My brother Dave. He's like. He's like. Listening to your Cobain episode. I'm like great dude. Great. And he goes. Um. You don't know when mom and dad got divorced? I said, what? <laughs> yeah, I do. I was out of the house. I, you know. He goes, you said you were 21. That's not true. I said, oh, okay. I'm like, how old was I? He goes, you're about 24. I'm like, all right. <laughs> oh, all right. I was off by a few years. You know, kill me. You know, but he caught me on that. And I made that mistake. It is, that's, his, that's a difference. 24, 21. It's, it's a couple of years. But he called me on that. Uh, but, you know, it affected him so much, he distinctly remembers the age. Like, yeah, Jeff, you were wrong. It was that year. It was that day. Caught me in that and corrected that. So I was actually 24 when my mom and dad split. And it affected me a lot, too. So goes to show you here with Kurt Cobain pointing that out. And this show, The Actors Room, is also about life, too. And I want to bring that human element into the show. Other shows I listen to touch on their personal lives, but not really. What's wrong with somebody talking about life every now and then? I'm not saying all the time, because that's stupid. That's boring. Nobody really wants to know what's going on in my life. Some might be interested, but most really don't give a fuck. It's just true. Um... But when it pertains to the episode, I kind of like pointing out things and uh, making reference to it. And for me, identifying with it in some way, because there are also a lot of people out there whose parents are actually still together and they have no idea what it's like having your parents not together anymore. They don't. 
And that's not their fault. They're lucky. God bless you. Your parents get along, I guess. Hopefully. They're not just sticking around to, you know, tough it out. They actually love each other. That's fantastic. Good for you. I hope it continues. And you have that. That special thing. So take hold of that. Appreciate that. Because not too many people have that anymore. And it's sad but true. And with Kurt Cobain, when he was younger, it affected him greatly. So much so. I don't think it's talked about enough. It's like a passing thing. Oh, his parents got divorced when he was younger. He was really pissed about it. Okay, let's move on to the, uh, you know. It deeply affected this guy. And it would shape him into becoming the musician, talent, and superstar that he became. Because if his parents stayed together, I don't think you would know who Kurt Cobain was, is, whatever. I, I truly believe that. And I think he said that too. Uh, he said that experiencing all the crap and shit and, and, and all the hurt and crap made him go places. Although he said he felt like an alien when he was younger. And, you know, other kids feel that way too. That they're somewhere else. And don't belong here because they're so different. Nobody understands me. Eh, that's kind of normal. But I think that he would have worked all that shit out. And became a pretty normal person for the most part. His parents splitting up and having to deal with that in his own way. Affected him so greatly that that hurt he placed into his music. And then would further on down the line. Make him sick. Kurt Cobain... Went through a tremendous a lot of pain with his stomach. If you don't know that about Kurt. He went through agony with his stomach. Would go to doctors upon doctors to find out why he was in so much pain. He says he would wake up in the morning starving. Go and try to have breakfast. After a few gulps of food would become so violently ill. He couldn't stand it. He would throw up. Anything that he would almost put in his stomach would come back up. It was horrible. So horrible. He thought about suicide. It was that bad. That constant burn, nauseous feeling was taking over his life at one point. It, and what I think that was is I think it, it was a family thing. Like his family and his mom's side, he said, had stomach issues. I guess Wendy did too. Ulcers probably. And if you don't take care of yourself. By eating properly. Sleeping properly. Doing all of those things. The right way. You make it even worse. And Kurt Cobain was a rock star. On the road all the time. He doesn't have time to. Eat healthy food. And we'll get into that later. When he's you know touring and shit like that. But maybe I'm getting a little too much. Further into shit. But goes to show you how things will affect you and how your body reacts to it. Very normal thing. Okay then. Got off base. Getting back on track. Chris Novoselic was getting so impressed with the growth and sound of Kurt's work. He was on board to start the band and do it for real. They played around with a bunch of names for their band but ended up with Nirvana. Their first drummer, his name is Burkhardt, he was a fuck-up. He cared more about partying than playing. 
Kurt was adamant that the band would practice at least five days a week. That was too much for Burkhardt. He's like, five days a week? What, do we have a, f- a fucking job? Uh, no, we're in a band and we really care about our music. We need to practice. But this guy, obviously, wasn't seen in the future of the band. But Nirvana's first gig was a house party. Cobain didn't even know about it until the very last minute. But intrigued at the notion. It was, it was done in a neighboring town close to Aberdeen. And the look and the sound of Nirvana, the band, scared the kids at the party. I guess Kurt was climbing all over everything. Fights broke out. And Chris found some fake blood and put it all over his body. It was chaos. And it was beautiful. Chris ended up pissing off the roofs of cars at the end of the night. Not bad for a first gig. Kurt now wanted to practice every night. He was feeling it and he was feeling it for real. He saw the potential and felt practice was needed to be great. The drummer Burkhart was obviously upset by this. So Kurt placed an ad in a magazine for a new drummer. They hadn't even found the replacement at this time, so they had to fill someone in when they did their first album. It was done in a dilapidated studio. And it's truly amazing that it got it done at all. The conditions were horrible. The songs on their first album were If You Must, Downer, Floyd the Barber, Paper Cuts, Spank Through, Hairspray Queen, Aero Zeppelin, Beeswax, Mexican Seafood, and last, but certainly not least, Pen Cap Chew. I didn't have to name all those, but I felt it necessary because I liked some of the titles and I thought also significant that that was the first album done by Nirvana and those were the songs on the album. I also love the title of the last one I said. Pen Cap Chew. Pen Cap Chew. I even think they played around with the idea of naming the band just that. Pen Cap Chew. I love it. Pen Cap Chew. Sounds Asian. I like it. I think I like it better than Nirvana. Pen Cap Chew. It was the recording of this album that ended up being sent to Sub Pop Records. Kurt decided that they should make a music video, right? Why not? The venue of this video? Inside a radio shack. Groovy. That's right, you heard me correct. Inside a radio shack. I've seen clips of this. You got Kurt, Chris, and the fill-in drummer playing right in the middle of a radio shack showcase floor. You can tell their special effects consisted of cigarette smoke being blown by the lens of the camera. Kurt reviewed the footage and decided not to use it. Too amateur. So horrible. No thank you. I agree, Kurt. Good call. The fuck-up drummer, Burkhart, would still show up from time to time to jam with Nirvana because Kurt hadn't found a replacement yet. 
but one incident would cement the demise of Burkhart. I guess Burkhart, he borrowed Kurt's car one night, got drunk, and wrecked it. Kurt called him the next day to practice, but Burkhart simply replied, No, I'm too hungover. Kurt hung up, and that was that. They thankfully found their replacement, for now. His name? Chad Channing. He was a great drummer, and he fit nicely. But the funny thing about this is that they never officially deemed him the drummer. They just didn't. Chad claims he just kept on coming to practice and gigs. There was no formal announcement. It was, hey, we're jamming. And so I kept showing up. Nice Break was opening for the Butthole Surfers. I guess it was a disaster. But hey, they were creeping up. They just really were. They were getting their feet wet and doing gigs that were important. I wanted to get into a glimpse of Nirvana in the newborn years because I want to acknowledge this simple fact. The band worked their asses off to get where they would end up to be. Kurt would constantly write and the band would constantly practice. He wanted perfection and Kurt would be very hard on himself. With a small amount of success, the band would go on the road. It is said that Kurt would get so into his screaming that it would reach deafening and life-altering levels. And one time, he was so into it that he took his guitar and slammed it on the ground. It splintered. Kurt never really explained why he freaked out, but he had a big smile on his face. He released his frustration, and it felt good. He did the same when he painted. His love of art could take him away and also allow him to express his inner feelings, his insecurities, and interests. I took a look at all of Kurt's paintings and noticed not all of them are dark. They're not. There are some of serene landscapes and, you know, Water, boats, structures, things like that. But most of it contains images that possess strong feeling, deep emotion. The images are of frail and skinny skeletal figures. I have to say that these roughly signify Kurt himself. He was a small and skinny kid. I can identify with this. All right, Tracy, his girlfriend at that time would say that he was so self-conscious about how small he was, he would try to gain weight, but he just couldn't. And Kurt would put on extra clothes to appear bigger than he was. Tracy says he would wear many layers of clothing, sometimes two or three layers of long johns, which is that thermal underwear that makes your legs look bigger. Okay, in the dead of winter here in Cleveland... I wear long johns because it's fucking cold, okay? Kurt would put on long johns, two or three of them at a time, to make himself look bigger and make his legs look bigger. And I notice when I put on long johns and then I put on a pair of jeans or something, I could tell my legs look bigger because I'm that small. I was, Kurt and I were probably around the same size, I think. 
I'm very skinny as well. Kurt, too. I try to put on weight. It's almost impossible for me because I can't eat that much. I try and like if I eat too much, I don't feel good. I just I just wasn't built that way. Kurt was the same way. And people pick on you because of that. Tracy said he was picked on in school for being so skinny. Oh, you're so skinny, you twerp. I heard that all the time. And when people tell you that, you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, Ugh, I am skinny. I'm disgusting. Kurt felt the same way. Would put on all these layers of clothes to make himself at least look normal. Okay? So Kurt would do this very insecure about the way he looked. Now getting back to his art, often the midsection of the figures he drew were barren. Kurt suffered, like I said before, from severe stomach pain. He never pinpointed to us when it started, but it plagued him for the most of his life. It was like this never-ending sour and burning he experienced in one section of his stomach. My guess is an ulcer. Plus he didn't eat right and all that stuff. He didn't take care of himself. Um, so... The thing that I want to point out is that he had a lot going on inside with his parents and kids at school, all the things going on in his head. And it created a lot of like, when I think about stress, stress will treat your body in many different ways. Like my daughter, her stress goes to her shoulders. She gets like, her shoulders get tight, you know, and I'll even give her like a massage there and there's like a knot. My dad would do the same thing. Like he would get so stressed. Like I could feel a knot in his shoulder. And it's crazy. That's where his stress goes. For me, I'm the same way, Kurt. When I get upset, stressed out, goes right to my stomach. I have ulcers too. They suck. I never had them this bad where I was getting sick. But they suck. They affect your whole body. They make you feel awful. So Kurt dealt with this with his stress level. Went to his stomach. And when that happens... If you find it hard to eat, period. When your stomach hurts, you don't want to eat. Hence, you become smaller. When you think about it, man, it's like this game, never-ending game. You want to gain weight, look healthy, and the more stressed out you get about stuff, right? You don't want to eat. And it makes you even thinner. Or you just stay thin. It's kind of crazy. Getting into the, you know, talking about Kurt is really interesting. For me. Because it touches upon certain aspects of my life as well. And reading up on Kurt. Going man. I went through the same thing. How you feel about yourself. Same thing. Kurt Cobain says. That he used all of his torment. From the inside. Into his music. His lyrics. Kurt would often say. That he believes his music and art. Wouldn't have been as good. If he wasn't in pain. We get much from our strife. Cobain would even draw comic strips. And I didn't know this. Uh, One of them has a character named Mr. Mustache. Mr. Mustache is funny. He had made a comic strip about this guy, Mr. Mustache. He's like this ultra prototypical macho racist bigot asshole you know and one of the strips that Kurt 
created. He has this guy talking to his unborn child, okay, in the mom's big belly. He's like right up against her belly saying, oh, I could hear that baby in there. Sounds strong. It's going to be a man. You know, I can't wait until you give me my son. And we'll go to football games together. Blah, blah, blah. Just like his dad would probably talk. Hmm. Still showing that resentment towards his dad, I think. Don't quote me on that. But that's what I see. So anyways, continuing on with the comic strip. The father's got his head right up against the belly. Talk about how the the son's going to be this great football star. This ultra male, right? And then the next strip that he shows in the comic. The baby's big fucking foot kicks out of the belly of his mom and like crushes the skull of Mr. Mustache, his dad. Said, fuck you, dad. Kaboo. Kicked his head right the fuck in. Little glimpse into how Kurt felt about certain things. Go look at his art. Chris Novoselic himself in interviews today states, there is no mystery to Kurt Cobain. Go look at his art. It's all there for you to see. You just have to go out there and view it. And you will understand who Kurt was. Love Chris Novoselic, by the way. Don't you? If you're a Nirvana fan, I love that guy. He was always like the cut-up of the band. Where they would give interviews with the band. He always kept it light. Kurt would be... You never knew where Kurt was during those interviews. He hated giving interviews about the band. It's all about the music. You know, he was always just like, whatever. Most of the time, he just put his head down sometimes. He just didn't give a shit. Chris, on the other hand, would have fun with the interviews most of the time. Be a cut-up. Be a moron. But now that later on in his life, he has taken it back a few notches and uh, speaks very highly of Kurt in interviews. It's great to hear him talk about Kurt. And you can tell. It still affects him. This happened so long ago. 94, right? Still affects him. They were very close. Kurt and Chris. Nirvana's first single, Love Buzz, was finally complete. And when Kurt heard it for the first time, he smiled. He couldn't wait to hear it. He couldn't wait to hear his song be played on the radio, man. He waited and waited. But nothing. He got fed up. He couldn't take it anymore. He phoned the radio station and requested his song. Then he sat in his car and waited. A half hour went by. And poof, it came on the radio. Very possibly, one of the happiest moments in Kurt Cobain's life. Would be anybody's, actually. Anybody's. Now, this is noteworthy. Kurt got the copies of his new single, Love Buzz, right? Proud of it. Handing out to everyone he knew, including his family. Wendy took a listen and suggested this to her son. Have a fallback career. What? Um, maybe I should take back what I said about her earlier. How she was supportive of Kurt and his art. Not cool. What a bitch. Okay, sorry. I meant that though. Sorry I said it, but meant it 100%. Moving on. This single, called Love Buzz, did so well that Sub Pop, 
the record label was Talking Album. And in January of 1989, Nirvana got signed on. They even got a contract with them. The very first band to get a contract with this label. That's rare. It was Chris Novoselic that basically threatened them to give Nirvana a contract. The label actually said that he was big. And this is Chris when he threatened them. He was big, drunk, and very demanding. So we had to give him a contract. They recorded the album drinking lots of alcohol and cough medicine. <laughs> alcohol and cough medicine never really did the whole drink like a lot of cough medicine and see how drunk you can get. Never did that. I guess they drank a lot of cough medicine recording this album. So there you go. Kurt was specific and how he wanted his voice to sound in the album. If he didn't get the results he wanted, drummer Chad said he would pound on his chest. It had to be right. His lyrics were cryptic, simple, but it was all about the delivery. Kurt would write the lyrics of his songs in the car on the ride over to the studio sometimes. And Kurt would also confirm this saying that sometimes he battled with certain songs so much so that he would eventually just throw it together at the last minute. The Bleach album sounded too rock and roll to Kurt, and he was persuaded to do it that way by the record company. So Kurt bended his art and his music for the record. There was one song that stood out in the album, and it was called about a girl. The song was in reference to his girlfriend or his girlfriend at the time, Tracy. The story is that they got in a fight, Tracy and Kurt, because she was offended. He never wrote anything about her. She's like, you've written songs about almost everything else. Why not me? So he did. And he didn't know what to call it. It was a different kind of song, and he couldn't quite place, you know, what to name it. So Chad, the drummer, and Chris asked him what the title was after they heard it, and they liked it. They said, Kurt, this has to be on the album. What's it called? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) I don't have a title for it. I don't know what to fucking call this song. So they asked him, what's it about? And he said, well, it's about a girl. There you go. The album was released and they went on their first tour. They worked hard. In an early interview back in the day, Kurt was quoted as saying that he would love to make some money off the band. It would be great if we can actually make money doing this. And if success didn't follow, he would take what he earned, whatever that was, Move to Yugoslavia, buy a small plot of land, grow potatoes, and learn the history of rock and roll. The drummer Chad said that they ate garbage food all the time. It was all takeout, even gas stations. Oh God, just garbage. But that was the life of a band on the road. They even did a European tour at this time. 
Nirvana was booked to play in Germany. As the wall fell. How about that? But it was canceled because of all the craziness. They had a show in Germany. When the wall fell. I remember that. Very distinctly. I was actually taking German. In high school when that happened. And it was a big deal. Nirvana was over there at that time. And I guess they had a gig in a town close by. But of course it was cancelled because of the chaos going on. Thought that was an interesting note to, to place in here. Very interesting. Now other people in the music business remarked how popular Kurt was. Around this time as well. Like just growing in his popularity among his peers. He was quiet, but intimidating. There was this certain awe about him, even then, before he broke out. He was immensely talented, and people noticed that. Nirvana had been on the road for a long time, and it was catching up to them. Near the end of this tour, in Rome, came a breaking point. Right in the middle of the song, spanked through. Kurt lost it. He smashed his guitar against the ground over and over again. Then climbed up on the PAs. He threatened to jump. And it looked like he would. Someone said that if he jumped, he would have snapped his neck. But thank God he didn't. It was a close call. He had the nerve to do it. But thank God he didn't. The mood was so bad at this time that all of them quit the band for a little while. Then they came to their senses and went back to work. Although Nirvana was growing, there were many, many that said they were absolutely shitty. Nirvana would be easily frustrated and their sets sounded horrible at times. One stated... That Nirvana, yes, they were shitty, and they couldn't even get through one song, let alone ten. Chris Novoselic married his girlfriend Shelly, and Tracy began to put pressure on Kurt. He wasn't getting the message. It seemed that Tracy had a feeling that even though she nurtured him and his career in the early goings, he had no desire To walk down the aisle with her. Sad. But true. And we will get into. The rest of Kurt Cobain's life. And his death. In the next episode of the Actors Room. Titled. Kurt Cobain. Part 3. It's going to be. An interesting episode. Quite simply because. We're going to talk about the fame. Then his death. The death going to be an interesting discussion. Well, one with myself. But a discussion nonetheless. Hopefully getting responses off the show. I'm hoping that what I say next week will grab the attention of somebody. That will reach out and say, well, this is my opinion about it. Or, you forgot this, man. How can you forget that? We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm going to put some stuff on the table. 
And then if you feel that I didn't put enough things on the table, maybe you can come back and say, hey, you're a moron, idiot. (laughs) This is what it really is. And maybe I can be proven wrong, man. Hey, do it. I'm open to it. Like I said, I'm not one of those people, my way or the highway. I'm not that. Believe me, I do research on both sides. And I'm going to explain to you how I came to my conclusion about Kurt's death at the age of 27. Thank you once again for listening to this edition of The Actors Room. Kurt Cobain, part two. I thought it was a good episode. Uh, I'm trying something a little different with the show of how it sounds. So I'm really interested tonight as I go out and edit this thing to see how it sounds, how the quality sounds. Like I said, going to be changing some things up equipment wise and the format of the show might change. Had to clear my throat for the first time and I'm almost done. (laughs) Almost made it. It's that time, man. My sinuses are feeling better, but I'm not out of the woods just yet. It's actually 90 degrees today in Cleveland. Super fucking hot for September. Looking forward to fall. Plus, work today was so fucking busy. Oh, and shit's breaking down. And Xerox really isn't doing that well, folks. Very scary times. It's just, you know, I've been with that company for a long time. They're breaking down. Uh, Hopefully I can survive this breakdown that's happening because I like working for them. It's just recently they've been going through a lot of changes. So, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, working hard, proving that I'm a valuable employee, although sometimes that doesn't matter. But I hope and pray I can get through the shit. I I don't like talking about stuff like that. I want to keep things positive in the actor's room, right? Positive thinking, art, right? Diversions. We need them in our lives to get through the shit of other things in our lives. And talking about Kurt Cobain, although sad because of what happened to him, he does give inspiration. You can't deny that. And all these people that I talk about, or movies, or shows, whatever the case might be, they give us something that fascinates us. That gives us something a little extra. That makes us feel good. Right? Isn't that what it's all about? Feeling something inside. And feeling it for real. No bullshit. Getting through the bullshit. That's what Kurt loved. Cutting through the BS. Getting to the core of all that stuff. And his interests and dark things that he liked... Like fetuses and weird paintings and doing weird comic strips and drawing all sorts of weird stuff, creepy shit. We're a part of him. And maybe we also have that stuff in us that we're just afraid to show. Kurt wasn't afraid to show what he felt at all. He wasn't afraid. Fuck that. This is how I'm feeling. I'm going to put it down on paper. Fascinating guy, Kurt Cobain. Can't wait to wrap it up next week and then talk about something else. Once again, my name is Jeff Tarowski. Thank you for supporting the Actors Room. Go out tonight. Have a good time. Right? Yeah. Go out. Go to the bar. Or go to your friend's house. Right? Chill. Talk about stuff. Really get to in a good conversation. Right? Talk about life. 
your dreams. You know, keep it positive if you can. All right. Have a great day. Have a great night. God bless you. Have a good one.